Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, good morning, VCDC. Happy Fourth of July to all of you. I hope you've had a great weekend so far, whether you've uh, been participating in parades or gathering with family and friends. For those of you who were able to join us uh, for the Sunbury Parade yesterday, thanks so much for coming out. Uh, it was a lot of fun and a very cool way to represent uh, as a church family in our community. Uh, so thanks. Uh, this is not normal for us to cancel our weekend services, of course, during the COVID season. Uh, we canceled uh, a lot of our weekend gatherings, but one of the things we learned during that time is just how incredibly valuable and necessary it is for us to gather as uh, as a church family it's been wonderful especially over the last couple months to see lots of people uh, coming back to our weekend gatherings it's really had a kind of a family reunion vibe as we see people and and i know that for some of our online attenders you uh you've gotten out of the routine of um, of gathering in person and i want to lovingly uh, encourage you to get back into that routine to get back to gathering within the church uh, really because we miss you and uh, it's just not the same without you i'm grateful for technology i'm grateful that we can do this that we can be uh, online, but it cannot fully take the place of, of gathering together. So if that's you, uh, uh, I hope to see you soon. Now, after saying that, you may wonder, well, if it's so valuable, why, why are we canceling this, uh, this weekend? Well, that's, that's a good question. And uh, one of the things that I've observed uh, as we're coming out of COVID uh, is really um, that we're out of practice uh, socializing. We're out of practice gathering with others and and so we felt it was important to make space for people to celebrate the 4th of July to gather with families uh, and friends and, and a pastor friend said it to me this way. I think this is pretty accurate. During COVID our relational muscles have atrophied. Isn't that accurate? Our relational muscles have atrophied and so our hope uh, this weekend is that we get uh, to work some of our relational muscles, if you will, as we gather. So I hope you're doing that. All right. Uh, because we're celebrating 4th of, Ju 4th of July, American independence, it really got me thinking about uh, the history of this nation. And so what I want to talk about today, uh, first point is history, new world seekers. Uh, growing up in Canada, learning Canadian history meant that you would also learn American history. Uh, we basically have the same begin beginnings. It's not until uh, the mid to late 1700s that you have the United Empire Loyalists moving north up into what is now Quebec and Nova Scotia, the Maritimes, uh, forming the beginnings of what would later become the nation of Canada. But in learning American history, one of the aspects that always uh, stood out to me was the the courage and the perseverance of the early pilgrims and settlers, what they went through. I mean, just, just the cost for them. Uh, early pilgrims, you know, they would not have been able to afford uh, uh, the cost for such a journey across the Atlantic. So they would, typically what you see in history books is they would basically borrow the money for this trip 
uh, from wealthy business people. And then the contract, the promise was once they got to the new world, they would need to work it off. Basically, they'd need to pay for now uh, their voyage to uh, the new world. It, there was great cost. There was also a very high level of risk. You're jumping on board a ship to, to cross the Atlantic Ocean where uh, many would not make it to the other side, whether uh, because of shipwreck or, or, or disease. And if you did make it to the New World, again, many would not survive because the conditions were just so incredibly harsh. And so when I look at that, I think, like, what, what would drive people to take such a risk? And uh, if you're familiar with, with, uh, with history, you know that the people fled their homes in Europe for the New World because of oppression, uh, primarily religious oppression, but also political oppression. They wanted a world, they were seeking a world where they could freely worship their God and not, and not you know, be oppressed, not live under the boot, if you will, of, a, of leaders who basically use the people for their, for their own gain. And we learn, we see in the Bible that this longing for a new world, this, this longing for a place where we are not oppressed by evil, a place uh, where we are free to truly live life. Uh, this longing has been around pretty much uh, since the beginning of time. You go back to the beginning of the Bible, uh, where it's so beautiful, Garden of Eden, but very soon after that, we see Adam and Eve giving in to temptation, disobeying God's really very clear commands at Genesis 3. Uh, and what you see is, you know, everything's great, but right after Genesis 3, you see this quick slide into oppression, into evil for humanity. And it's like four chapters later that God is sending the flood to, to wipe out almost all of humanity because they have become so corrupt. And then starting over again with Noah and his, and his family. But but again, even after that fresh start, it's literally days until that slide yet again into oppression, into evil, uh, happens. And one of the clearest pictures of an oppressed people longing for a new world is seen in the book of Exodus, uh, where the people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. You're familiar with that story. Remember, these are God's chosen people. Uh, and part of their history uh, uh, with God is the promise of a new world. And in the Bible, it calls it the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. Well, they're, they're not there and so, and when they're in Egypt. And so they're crying out to God for freedom from their oppressors. oppressors and God sends them a deliverer named, that's right, kids, you got it right, named Moses. And uh, Moses comes along and it's really, there's a lot of similarities between the Exodus story and the early pilgrim settler story where, you know, Moses comes along and he leads these people now. He leads them to the promised land. He leads them to, to the new world. And, and uh, you know, in both stories, we see these similarities where you've got people who are living, you know, living under oppression. And, but there's, this, there's something in the wiring of all humanity that God has put in us. And it's this longing for this new world of freedom. And in both stories, we see that the new world <clears throat> is found by, by traveling a long, costly, and even dangerous Journey. So that's the first point. Number one is history, new world seekers. And then numero dois is history. The new world is within us. What does that mean? Well, uh, you know, when we look at the story in the Bible, uh, Moses leads them into the promised land. And then we jump way ahead to where 
Now we're getting into the New Testament. God's people are yet again oppressed, but this time uh, they're, they're, they're you know, oppressed in their own land, in their own promised land. And you know, they've been overrun by the Romans. And I just try to imagine how maddening that must have been. How it just would seem so unfair. It's like, wait a minute, it's not supposed to be this way. This is our promised land. And again, like in Egypt, the people are crying out for a deliverer. And this time the Bible says, I've always loved this phrase, one greater than Moses uh, arrives. And of course, I'm talking about Jesus. That's right. I'm talking about Jesus. And Jesus comes not only talking about a new world, but also demonstrating what a new world looks like. And he's teaching a truth that they've just never heard before. A truth that has authority. Think of all the stories in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, where Jesus would be talking and the people would be like, who is this guy? Like when he talks, like his words just have, they have authority. It's like he's telling a truth that actually sets you free. He's, he's speaking a truth that, that calms the troubled mind and, and really settles the racing heart. Here comes Jesus. He's doing miracles. <clears throat> he's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's casting out demons. He's multiplying food. He's walking on water. He's telling the storms, you know, the wind and the waves. Hey, hey, zip it. I mean, he's, and they listen to him. He's, he's loving the unlovable, the leper the tax collector, the prostitute. He's lifting up the super oppressed in his day, the women, the children, the poor, uh, the foreigner in, this, in, in their midst. And, and the people are hearing what Jesus is saying about the new world and they're seeing this demonstration of the new world. And they're like, hey, hey, Jesus, you've convinced us. Like, like we want to go to this new world. Uh, <clears throat> show us the way. Lead us. Lead us out of this place to that new world. And, and you know, I don't blame them for thinking that Jesus like Moses had come to lead them to another place, to a geographical place. I mean, think about how many times did we hear Jesus say the words, come, follow me. And now the people are like, okay, we will. <laughs> we will follow you. This, this new world that you're talking about sounds awesome. Jesus, lead on. But then Jesus throws them a curveball. Luke 17, 20, it says this. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. And understand that when Jesus uses the phrase, the kingdom of God, that's basically, it's referring to the new world, if you will. And what he's saying in this passage and what he says all throughout the Gospels is that the kingdom of God is not a place that you go to. It's not a geographical realm. It's, it's, it's really a spiritual realm. When you hear kingdom of God, think the power and presence of God, the rule and reign of God that comes to you, that takes up residence in you. It's something to be received. It's much more than something to be earned, or in, in this case, something to be, to be traveled to. And the people are like, well, wait a minute, that's confusing because you said to follow you. And Jesus says, well, well, that's true. You, you, you should follow me. But what I'm talking about is follow my example. Follow my teachings. Follow my way of life. Follow me as I follow my heavenly Father. And again, the people are like, okay, well, but what about our oppressors? And this is something that, like, I just think is crazy when I look at the story of Jesus. Like, Jesus almost never addresses the Roman occupation, does he? Like, you never hear Jesus saying, hey, I've got the power, you know, like, follow me and I'll show you 
how we'll rid the earth of these Romans, you know, of these evil oppressors. Like, he never says that. The truth is that he did come to set us free from our oppressors, but it, but it wasn't in their day, the Romans. It's not in our day. I don't know how, you, you know, who you would say are the oppressors, like whoever it is that's in the White House or the governor or, you know, whoever you would say. The truth is our true oppressors are the demonic powers of evil whose leader is the devil. Heather talked about this last weekend. Who uses the power of sin and the power of death to do his oppressive work. That's who Jesus came to free us from. And I just imagine the people thinking, now that, wow, that, that sounds amazing because I, I, I don't get that, but I sort of do get that when I look at my life and when I look around at the world. But, but a freedom like that what does that cost? That's got to be expensive. And Jesus responds with, well, yeah, you know what? It, it is, it was very, uh, very expensive. But, but for you, for you, it's a gift. I've covered the cost. Uh, uh, I have paid in full for your freedom. And I did that on the cross. On the cross, I disarmed your oppressors. You are free. Well, sort of. What? what do you, well, what I, what I mean is this. One of the challenges of the Christian life of being a follower of Jesus is that you're introduced to the new world. And I'm, I'm talking, and when I say introduced, I mean way more than just like a brochure. Like you actually get to experience the new world. You get to taste the new world. You know, the, really the treasures of the kingdom of God, the presence and the power of God with us. But, but the fullness of the kingdom of God, of God's presence and power, the fullness when all oppression is gone, uh, we're not going to experience that until we get to heaven. And so the challenge, hear this, is learning to believe in and move in the new world whilst still living in the old world. And that leads me to my final point, number three, his plan, new world people living in the old world. You know, as I was going through this, I realized the Ephesians series is still very much on my mind and really still stirring around in my heart because I, I actually, it's, there's some similarities in what I'm saying right now to that series. I actually was thinking of calling this talk, Who Do We Think We Are? The Epilogue. Excuse me? But then I thought, no, we should call it this. New World Seekers. I think that title would sell a lot more books. Of course, I'm, I'm joking. But, but what I mean is this. that like I'm tying this 4th of July talk in with our Ephesians series because really that theme of identity and purpose that flows all throughout Ephesians is, is, is what I'm getting at again. You know, the Christian life is being in a very real relationship with God. God, the only one who is able to be in both worlds at the same time. The old world and the new world. And in that relationship, his desire, which we talked a lot about in the Ephesians series, is to do a work in and through our lives in order to draw others to himself. Remember, put us on display, identity, purpose. Uh, uh, we've received from him, now, now we give it away. And his plan, really his plan, is that people who live in this old world would experience a taste of the new world through you, through me, through us. And that goes for every Christian on planet Earth, whether, wherever, wherever you live. That's his plan. And, and that's why it's so important for us 
as his followers to remain in the old world. Like, wouldn't it be so much better when you, when you came to a place of believing in Jesus at once, as soon as you said yes to him, I believe in you, that he opened a door. He said, now, let's get you out of here. Let's get you into the no, new world. Like, he doesn't do that, right? Because the new world is within us. The kingdom of God is within us. And so we stay here. And now we live in this tension of tasting of, uh, uh, of what is to come, but having to wait for it. Why? Well, there's lots of reasons, but for what I'm trying to say today, it's so that others can have an opportunity to one day join us in the new world. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says this, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Isn't this true, church, that it's not until you taste of the new world that, you even, that you're even aware that it exists. And, and once you've tasted of it, as you become more and more aware of it, you start to see the new world uh, signs of the new world everywhere. And you start to see this old world very differently. Let me, let me end with this. Let me read this. New world seekers are people who are learning that the world they now live in is temporary and that the world they were made for, the world they long for, is permanent. New world seekers are people who are growing in their understanding and participation in God's great plan to help others become aware of the new world. Uh, so VCDC, as we celebrate this 4th of July, as we celebrate freedom from oppression and a, and a coming to the new world, let this celebration, let this time of year be a reminder, uh, a foreshadowing of God's greater plan to introduce people to the incredible freedom and life that is found in his new world in the kingdom of God. Well, uh, we're going to go back to uh, one more worship song. Uh, so let's, let's uh, go to that now, and then I'll come back and end our time in prayer. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. Well, bless you. Have a wonderful week.